0: The funny thing about diagnosis is that we assume that because it has the word knows in it, that somebody knows something. But really, it also has the word no in it. So it could be somebody doesn't know anything. This is my conversation with Abigail Gimple. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't. And we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Rebhund. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today is Abigail Gimple. She's an author, a speaker, an educator, And a lot of her work has to do with ADHD and issues and struggles and solutions in that realm. Uh, Aviga, welcome to Truth Tastes Funny.
1: Thank you so much, Hirsch. It's a pleasure being on the show with you. It's such a funny name.
0: It's funny because based on our pre-recording conversation about my last name, I was like, oh, what's a funny name? My Repoon, my last name? Or or the Truth Tastes Funny?
1: funny?" But your 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 podcast name is it's really unique. I love it.
0: Thank you. Well, since you mentioned it, in what way, in what way, if you had to, to look at all the things that you've experienced and faced in your life and are working with and doing, what tastes funny about, about what you do? What tastes funny about your life experience?
1: I could say what tastes delightful i could say that you know making progress building a family understanding things that i didn't understand before those are those taste delightful i actually just put out a video on raising teens and my the the title of the the youtube video is four reasons our teens hate us and the fourth reason is that we lose our sense of humor when we're raising them so raising teens tastes funny for sure.
0: That's for sure. I'm gonna watch that video. That's that's, okay. a, that's a must for me. Okay. So raising teens. And you're coming out with your has your second book come out yet? You have you have a, a book, hyperhealing, and right. you now have hyperhealing. Show me the science, right? So Which show is me the
1: science out. is available. I'm very excited about that.
0: Congratulations. Thank so, you. So so tell us a little bit about. about hyper healing and what that means
1: well i'll back up a little bit here i've been dealing with working with adhd really for as long as i know myself i didn't even realize that i was facing adhd as a kid until i got older and my kids started me diagnosed with adhd and that was like really a punch to the gut i was a special education teacher i i kind of i had this i i know i knew what i was dealing with with my kids raising them uh, and then the doctor's like, no, your child is disordered. And I'm like, oh, I don't think so. But the point is at that point, even though I had already been teaching kids with ADHD for a couple of years and had even developed a program for the classroom, which I'm still teaching my college students today because it was very effective. And um, but when it came to my kids, it, it it obviously became very personal. And I'm looking at them, I'm saying that this kid's healthy and something's going on here that is it's not working for me it doesn't seem right and i'm a curious person i need i need to find i need to dig down to get all the answers so i started doing a tremendous amount of research and also looking into different programs that were available and what I found was that you know every book had a program in it and usually the program was developed by the author it was a doctor a therapist whatever it was and they fell in love with their program and that was supposed to be the be all and end all this is what it's going to heal your kid and that's silly that can't possibly be so I'm gathering all these programs and trying them out And, uh, with all that work, I really came up with the, with the magic, it's not the magic bullet because there is no magic bullet, but I came up with a much deeper understanding that ADHD is a list of symptoms that basically many, many different things cause. And that we really have to look at the complete person and not the diagnosis and this way we'll be able to get to an understanding of what the person needs. And that's what hyper healing is. It's the philosophy that ADHD is a gathering of symptoms, observable symptoms, and that we as mature, intelligent, caring adults to these children really have to look at the child and understand why the child's struggling and then be able to interact in the right way with that child. Because ADHD in general is gonna be a collision between a healthy child and that child's environment. So the the hyper healing means that the the child, there is a hyper there, but the hyper, we we are either healing that hyper or that the hyper itself is healing because it's good and it's healthy. So you can go both ways with it,
0: right? I like that that you can kind of it's a matter of perspective, yeah. And that's what I think is lost. Going back to where the the doctor gave this diagnosis and said your child is disordered, which that's another thing that I struggle with when I when I hear, listen, observe these things for the child. It really makes a big difference how this is framed. You know, it it will make a big difference if if we say to the child okay well here's why you're abnormal or here's why you're yeah. defective we've figured out what your defect is and we're going you know um what your challenges are or why you have these challenges so with adhd i've been in the last several months it seems i've been hearing quite often from completely different sources a new take on what these symptoms are and what they mean you know we would say attention deficit hyperactive disorder, right? right? That That's what we, you know, and if if a kid could concentrate and wasn't acting up in class and was able to do their work, they didn't have ADHD because they didn't have an attention deficit and they weren't hyperactive and they weren't jumping out of their seat. So, but now it seems there are, there's more to it than that. Is that yeah is that accurate?
1: there is and uh, we're not going in the right direction what's really happening is and, and I actually deal with this in book two the hyper healing show me the science is that we are the diagnosis is like it's an epidemic at this point so many children are being diagnosed and adults and now we're focusing in on women and girls and we're trying to get as many people diagnosed as possible and the there's two questions here why are we trying to diagnose so many people is it that we've just gotten so good at diagnosis that now we're able to tease out the diagnosis and and help so many people and who benefits from it really and um the the why are we diagnosing so many people and is it good for the person who's being diagnosed it's that the more we diagnose the more people we have on a on a chronic medication And that's really the bottom line. And if we really take a look at the diagnostic criteria that we see in the, uh, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, what we're seeing is loosening of criteria. So back then, a child had to be showing symptoms by the age of six. Now it's by 12. Back then, it had to be symptoms that actually got in the way of your functioning. And today to get diagnosed with ADHD, you just have to have like a nervous knee. You're sitting in class and you're shaking your knee, but that doesn't bother you. You're still studying, you're still getting everything done, but you have this internal anxiousness and therefore that that becomes an ADHD symptom and it does not have to bother you in any way. Also, they've lowered the amount of symptoms you need in order to be diagnosed. And, And if you look at that, really the only people who are benefiting from this loosened criteria for diagnosis are those people who are earning on on the on more people being diagnosed and it, it sounds right. horrible and I hate to say it but this is the funny truth about our world yeah
0: well it does it does <laughs> it does taste terrible it's Tastes the awful I, the, the 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 you know and that's where that's where we struggle so much. You know, because we rely on healthcare professionals to help and to do no harm, and the idea being that that they're going to help us, you know, solve a problem. But there's a conflict of interest, and that's huge. you know, and that's a huge thing, and that's a whole topic in in and of itself. Um, but looking at the situation that we're facing and knowing that this is a reality, so how at this moment in time. How are you approaching your work?
1: So, what I do when I meet with clients and when I teach my students is I really take a journey of curiosity. I get to know the person, the family, the child themselves, their environment that the child's living in. I also work with adults and couples, which is really fascinating because then you have two environments coming together and uh, that causes all sorts of explosions. But um, so I really want to understand what's going on for the child because there's so many causes of ADHD symptoms. Just like if you went into a doctor's office and you complained about some kind of ache or pain, then if you if you had tightness in your chest, then, and then the doctor would not look at you and say, oh, I know what it is. That's a heart attack. The doctor would ask you a thousand questions and then examine you and figure out what was going on and and then give you a diagnosis based on a full responsible examination ADHD diagnosis is usually takes place within about half an hour, and it's an interview. And the interview is not a deep interview. The interview is just you yeah, have this symptom check, this symptom check. What is that? That's like okay. Does it hurt on the left side? Does it hurt on the right side? Is it red in your throat? Is it that doesn't tell you anything about the cause of the issue and uh, and how to treat it. And that's what we're relying on so i i I have thrown that in the garbage completely and i want to find out if the child's going through any stress or trauma if there's if there's something going on in the environment of the child has any physiological problems such as asthma or allergies or rashes headaches stomach aches psychiatric uh, um, symptoms i want to look at the child's sleep screen time i want to look at the kid's personality and i also want to look at how the parents are interacting with that child all of those things are going to cause the classic symptoms of adhd
0: it seems like a real telling factor or a central factor is anxiety is that Mm. right
1: so anxiety is not one of the classic symptoms of adhd it's not really it's it's not in the top 10. But what we're seeing in general as that kids, people are more anxious at, at this point, like there's an entire generation of of teens and young adults that are all medicated for anxiety or depression or something like that. And I do believe that a lot of that is coming from gut issues and the chemical soup that we're raising ourselves and our, our children and that I, I don't think that that the the human body was meant to be exposed to this much, this much, this many chemicals as well as as much screen and also the pace of life that, that we're expected to keep up. So I, I think that's all environmental plus the, the, the chemical soup that, that we're really living in and our kids are so exposed, um, is definitely dramatically hurting the gut. And when I hear anxiety in children, that's the first place I go.
0: Yeah. Screen time. So this is a, you know, I don't know whether we call it a necessary evil or we call it something that's beneficial, but easily abused. What's your take on the development? You know,
1: I'm, you know, going through a kicking and screaming, knowing that you can't get away from them, but also knowing and seeing what it's doing to our kids and and my oldest two are avid readers and then we start petering out on the reading as, yeah. as we get younger and so that's a real shame and and the truth is I I see the difference between a kid before they've gotten their cell phone and and after they've gotten their cell phone I have I, my my 14 year old was played sports around the clock he's a little soccer player and uh constantly and then all of his friends in the neighborhood got phones a year before he did, and they stopped getting together to play. They sat on, the, on their own devices in their own houses, talking to each other, but yeah. stopped getting out in the sunshine and kicking a ball around. And they all the kids are more anxious and all the kids are gaining weight and they're less social and they're losing those basic skills that kids need in order to do well in the world so I'm very concerned about it I try my very hardest to keep screen time down to a minimum and I I spend a lot of time on that with parents I I have two rules for parents first of all you had better blocking the phone to make sure that there's no inappropriate content or pornography on your kid's phone. I don't know what that's all about that parents are like, well, what's the big deal? You know, the the, the kid will know what's yeah. good and what's bad no they won't and the minute they discover (laughs) bad they're going to be like oh this is really interesting so like what's wrong with us that 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 we just allow this portal to funnel the most awful stuff into our kids brains uh that's number one and that's like i'm not going to work with parents who are not willing to to just put a block on the pornography as, as a bare minimum but i do recommend that that parents do screen fasts or or very much limit screen time and in most cases a lot of the ADHD symptoms come down after about 2 weeks of screen free yeah. time it's a lot of the, the problem here is yeah. that it's a lot of work for parents and they're just like no thank you don't destroy me i need my quiet time i need my kids to stop whining and frankly i don't have the bandwidth to entertain my kids so back yeah, off but then their kids are miserable and they're faced with this with this whiny, angry, hateful child who really is a delightful person, but is is constantly in this crazy, addictive state, especially those who play who do gaming. They're they're in a much worse state than the kids who are even watching YouTube. So you, you think you're solving the problem by letting the screen be the babysitter. But in the end, you, you just can't stand your children. And that's a really big problem.
0: Well, for parents who work in the porn industry, I would say that they have to have it for their job, but there's no need their children have to have it, you know. So even in that case, I would say blocking porn for the kids is kind of a, you know, a must in all seriousness. It's basic. And that's kind of the thing that has happened and this was my my next question are we different from our parents in terms of how we approach child rearing and limits forget the technology and when it existed and when it came in you know you, you know uh, a million years ago there was a telephone that was invented it's like you know there's always something so so what do you think are we are we different and if so how
1: yeah, I think we are a good bit different. There are some positive parts and some negative. We tend to see our children as fragile and we we overspoil them. We we bubble wrap them to make sure that they they don't have any pain and we don't want to overdiscipline. We don't want them to lose any games. We don't want them to be wanting for any toy that their friend might have, that kind of thing, which I, I do think is a disaster because while we're seeing our children as fragile, that is a self-fulfilling prophecy and and look at the young adults look at the college students today they they they're fragile and uh they, they they cannot tolerate anything that causes them any discomfort but we don't grow unless we're uncomfortable we don't ask questions we don't learn and if we're surrounded by people who just agree with us and want us to be happy all the time we stay immature fragile children so on, on that side, wow, we have really missed the boat and, and we have to get our acts together because kids do much better when they are disciplined, when they're told you can't do that, when they have to work for something instead of getting everything for free. And uh, we don't want to cause harm or pain to our children, but we certainly don't want to be constantly blocking that because that, yeah. that really stops them from growth. On the positive side, I, I don't know that we were raised in the most sensitive way. I don't know that our parents were really tuned in to quality time with us, perhaps, or really kind of asking questions and wanting to know how we were feeling. So I, I think we, we're we doing better on that front, at least.
0: Right. I don't, rec- you know, and I had wonderful parents. You know, at some point, I'll dig underneath uh, and find all the all the trauma that I, that that is there. But they were wonderful. And and I I don't ever recall, though, um, having that kind of situation where that I've had with my kids where you sit down and say, so how did you feel about that? How did that make you feel? You know, that therapist style conversation that we have where and and that I think is a beautiful thing. I think it's It's wonderful that we we care about our children's feelings and that they're entitled to their feelings. That's great. That's great what I think would, I would say the, the 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 good news for parents would be, you know what you should be is happy. You should be a happy person. Like we should be doing everything we possibly can for our own mental health, for our own happiness, to be in the best relationships we can be in, to be in the job that makes us happy. You know, it's really easy to fall into a miserable state and Kids know. Child will will know. And and maybe you have a poker face and you know you don't really show your anxiety, but it's not likely. I mean, it's more likely that they're gonna be like, yeah, my dad, my dad's miserable. Like my I was I was with my daughter picking her up from school, and her friend was coming out and was parked right next to my car. Uh she's in high school. And my daughter said, "Say hi, say wave to her because she thinks you hate her."
1: <laughs> and I'm like wow. And I'm she like, must be, she must be a teenager,
0: right? And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I don't know, I don't hate her, but it's like, what? But, <laughs> but they're exposed to all of the all of the waves of, you know, and disapproval can be can be delivered in a really really eloquent and sensitive way and still sting a child yeah. or
1: whatever oh. it is.
0: But let's switch now to the to the adult ADHD conversation, because mm-hmm. um, this is there. There are a couple times recently where a parent has said to me or even a person without children and uh, a person who's younger, but said to me, I, I just discovered that I had ADHD. I didn't know it until like in one case, you know, 40, something like that. Another one 30, you know, but I had no idea. Now I know, and I'm feeling much more empowered.
1: Right. So I, I find that kind of, it, it's funny to me. And I, I always, I feel very happy for people when they feel empowered. And that's that's my absolute goal all the time, is to help my students and clients feel empowered. But I, since the diagnostic process is so silly and so shallow, it's always surprising to me when someone will sit with a doctor for 20 minutes and the doctor will say, I've figured it out you've got ADHD. And it's like, okay, what did he do? He or she, that they, they basically told you they, they took the symptoms that you said, and they repackaged it, put a little bow on it and handed it back to you. And uh, so good. And listen, if you have clarity, then that's fantastic. The question is, what did you learn from that, from, from mm-hmm. knowing you have an ADHD diagnosis? And usually you've learned almost nothing because it doesn't really it still doesn't explain why you have a hard time following through transitions are difficult for you, you know, stranger anxiety, like it doesn't explain all of those things. It just says, I see that you have symptoms, which sometimes really does give a person a feeling of like, oh, okay, you're seeing me you're seeing my struggles, which is great. And if they can get that, that's fantastic. I would say if you are only seeing symptoms in adulthood, then there's a very, very strong environmental component that really has to be looked at because you've been suppressing it for a long time and it's coming out only now. And uh, and therefore rushing to medicate ADHD symptoms in adulthood, I would say is a big mistake because it's it could be latent trauma and it could be what i like to call voices or curses where where you were told you have to be a certain way and you try to live up to that and you're in constant self-criticism self-disappointment and that could also be causing you to to finally just not be able to to hack it anymore and you start to stall out and i have one i teach a, a lot of women and uh, with big families and uh, a lot of them will come up to me and say you know I, I think i have adhd and i'll look at them and say okay how many kids do you have and it's a, my joke is it's a, that i have a new adhd category called adhd of the fourth child like like you're managing you're managing you're managing and then the fourth child's born and you're like ah, i can't take it anymore <laughs> and uh so it could also be that the adhd symptoms arise in adulthood because you are just juggling too much in which case medicating you so that you could juggle just as much but suffer in silence and just be a machine is not not a gift you need to clear out some of the stuff you're juggling you need more help you need to respect yourself and and that's not respectful
0: and what you're saying is that we definitely need a much deeper exploration of what's going on it it fascinates me the disparity between psychiatry and psychology and how uh, someone can go to a psychiatrist the psychiatrist will talk to them like you say for 10 minutes see if the medication's doing x or y see if it needs a shift okay take two more of these two less of these take take this one instead and right, come like see me in dealer. 3 months yeah come see me okay yeah see me when you run out Basically. And whereas I used to be very dubious about therapy because conversely, I I, while they would spend time, I felt like a lot of times a therapist might not really know anything that the parent didn't know or that I don't know as a patient or whatever. Like they're not, you know, they they're not telling me something I don't know. And I was expecting something from some kind of breakthrough, some kind of earth shattering tear inducing revelation about something that would shake me to my core. Now, now in, in defense of therapists, I haven't done a lot of therapy, so I'm not, I'm just kind of giving you a, my observation sure. of therapy. So it's really, an, it's, it's a very lightly informed to uninformed observation, but if I had to choose one or the other. I would choose psychology because I think there's more room for fulfillment there than just the medication as a catch-all for, uh, you know, for, for challenges. Um, Talk to me a little bit, uh, you know, Adderall, right. As a medication, this is something that, you know, I don't know a lot about, but I know a lot of people who have, who have, for whom it's been prescribed. Sure. Um, so it would, it would seem like a lot of people who are diagnosed with ADHD get, get prescribed Adderall. Right. Right. And you know what, what the name
1: means Adderall yep. ADD for all. Yeah. You oh. Like that clever. Huh? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And when you is hear that, the
1: name, is that it, real? Is that where it is now that's hundred percent real. Ritalin is actually named after the the scientist who synthesized it his wife was Rita and okay. she was his first uh, patient because she wanted to right. lose weight. The, it was it that. was a weight loss drug back in the day. Um right. they just kind of feel around in the dark until they they find the right disorder to admit. to to Yeah, what does this itself? do?
0: What does this do? And then, yeah. and and you could believe that the that the that the disorder sometimes follows the medication. in other words it's not okay we have adhd how do we cure it it's oh we have this drug that you know helps you focus let's say that's actually how
1: adderall began it's it's an amphetamine and and that's how they they were they they synthesized this amphetamine thing and they were like well let's find let's find out what it does and they they used it on children in a psychiatric hospital and uh, the children it, it was it was meant to be something the children were suffering from head pain and they were like well let's see if it works for headaches and it did not but these uh, young patients suddenly were focusing better in class and they they called it the mathematics pill and that's how that's how it was put together it's like you know the marriage happened there these poor kids kept suffering from headaches, but which were induced by the hospital. The uh, Adderall is is highly addictive. It's very, very hard to get off of it. And uh, see, here's the issue. ADHD is not a shortage of amphetamine or any other chemical on your brain. With all of the years of research, that they've done on, on the brain of people with ADHD, even though you'll see a lot of screaming headlines saying, we found it, ADHD is absolutely a neurological disorder, they really haven't found it. And interestingly, if you went online and you were, and you just plugged into Google causes of ADHD, the the top sites, WebMD and the FDA and the CDC, all of them are gonna say, well, you know we're not sure what causes adhd and if you look in the insert of all of the medications they're going to say the same thing well the etiology of adhd is unknown that's nice but yet we're being told that it's known and we need to fix it with this little pill so really the 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 drugs are not fixing anything they are providing some relief so for some people that's very valuable to get some relief there are long term effects there are short term effects and keep staying on any of these medications long term is detrimental to the brain because it's tinkering with your brain chemicals and that's something that that doctors are not saying to you they're saying your brain chemicals are off and therefore it's fixing it the exact opposite is true your brain chemicals were intact and this is tinkering with it so i would say that if someone needs quick relief for their symptoms just like you would take Uh, a painkiller that's what Adderall should have been but somehow the painkiller became the permanent solution now if someone had a toothache and the doctor prescribed a painkiller we would sue that doctor (laughs) because that's dangerous but when it comes to ADHD the person's in pain here let's mask it and you're going to end up paying a price for taking this medication long term And the companies that produce it do not even test it for longer than a month in most cases. So we don't even know the safety and efficacy of any of these drugs past. The biggest study is six weeks. I can't remember which one it is right now. It might be Adderall. A six week study, that's it. So nobody knows what happens after six weeks in terms of the safety uh, of it and the efficacy of it, but go ahead take this prescription and run with it for the next 10 years it's irresponsible yeah, and, they, and it's harmful
0: and they have a customer for the next 10 years which is great Forever like having ever, a client great. every month they have a, you know they have a subscription to to this to the to the adderall but, but,
1: but um, let me add to that a second because very yeah, yeah. often when a person is put on any of these medications they land up developing a secondary condition whether it's a sleep condition or sometimes it'll be a, a thyroid condition or another additional psychiatric condition. And therefore, people who start on medication and take it chronically within a couple of years are taking many medications together. And that's something uh-huh. we also have to consider when we begin taking any medication, it's not a medication, any pill that tinkers with our brain chemistry.
0: And in your opinion, and granted, this is just, you know, we're, you're not a medical doctor. No, not at all. So we're being clear about that. But in your opinion, let's say someone's gotten to a state where they've, they've developed all this stuff. And now they're taking a a cocktail of medications. Is there a way back from there uh, in terms of repairing their health?
1: It's, It's a very hard way back. And I war- I work with psychiatrists to help people get off of medications because you need a i'm not a, a a doctor at all. But I will speak to the parent to the person, and we will decide together that it's a good thing to do to start reducing the medication and getting off of it, because all the medications together are causing more harm than good in most yeah. cases so with us with the help of a psychiatrist we do reduce it but there has to be some very clear understandings here first of all the person has to be strong as nails because it is such a horrifying process it's exhausting it's physically painful it's emotionally painful you lose your ability to sleep for months on end so you have to want this really really badly because most psychiatrists know how to put you on medication very few will help you come off of it so you have to be really ready to be facing a lot of pain on every front you have to have an incredibly strong support system just around you all the time for your outbursts, for your exhaustion, to, to keep you going, to give you a lot of physical contact. And you also have to be ready and open to do other things like socializing and being outdoors and adding exercise, changing your diet so that while you're getting off of the chemicals that are now leaving a major imbalance in your brain you're at least helping yourself on the other side with with micronutrients as as well so that you're giving your body what it needs to to make it this process less hard less painful than it could well, than, this, it, than it has to be yeah.
0: well this is a an evolution that we can strive toward which is trained competent psychiatrists helping people get off of the the drugs that they're on just as they would an addiction, you know, specialist and, you know, do, uh, for narcotics, what we consider to be narcotics, but, you know, somebody who can help them get off, get off these medications, rehabilitate themselves, and then have a, you know, a healthier examination and exploration of their, of their challenges. You are an educator. So Mm -hmm. what role does the, uh, the, the, form of education, the way schools and teachers and and the system approaches teaching kids with these challenges? How do, Where does that fit in?
1: The, uh, the quality of teacher makes or breaks a kid like this. Um, it, it, you can have like one year where the kid needs medication and the next year where the kid is doing just fine without it. And it really has to do with the skill and the patience of the teacher and there are some very specific skills that a teacher needs in order to be able to reach these kids if we're dealing with a kid who has an instant gratification personality and that's what's causing the ADHD symptoms that's a kid who wants everything here and now and fast and interesting and therefore they survive and live on in feedback from the teacher and, and from the parents, and you always hear from the parents, you know, this kid takes more energy out of me than all my other kids put together because that kid really needs your feedback. So if the teacher is a yeller and a punisher, that kid will make sure to be yelled at and punished several times a day because that kid needs your attention. But if the teacher is a complimenter and is firm with her rules, but is very gracious and notices, every success in her classroom that child is going to be the first one to be behaving and and that's just the beginning the the structure of the classroom has to be very specific kids with with adhd symptoms really need um organized structure they need to know what to expect they need to have clarity when i taught kids with adhd i had a uh, contract with them that i gave them my lesson plans at the beginning of the week obviously not all the details of it but i gave them a beautiful computer printed out lesson plan every week and they put it in their notebook and they were able to travel with me and know exactly what to expect every day and we made a celebration at the end of every day that we as a team had completed it and at the end of the week we were able to we actually had a friday fun day where after they had completed as a class everything that was expected of them we, we celebrated it with a major award. And so the structure of the classroom is vital. And uh, there's a couple of other things, but if a teacher can learn to do these things, she will not have students that are acting out with ADHD. She will have curious, creative, amazing kids in her class that sometimes need to be pushed a little bit, sometimes need to be reminded, sometimes need to move around a little bit, but they will all be humming happily um, with her and it's not very hard to learn and it's something that I include in my book I give instructions for it and uh, any teacher if she really really desires it will learn it the problem is that the medication works so well that the teachers are like what's wrong with the parents the parents are supposed to fix this problem and why do I have to do all that work if it's not my problem, the problem lives in the child's head. The child's disordered. Fix it. So they don't see it as their problem. They've forgotten how to discipline, and they dump the whole thing on the parents. and 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 that's a huge problem.
0: Yeah, and that's been going on for decades now. Yeah, that's not that's not anything new. And and sadly, very little has improved as we kind of circle back around and and wrap this up. This has been fascinating, Abigail. It's really, really great to talk with you. And I really appreciate on behalf of my audience, you know, your insights. As we look ahead and can sometimes get a little bit depressed about how little how little changes it seems, you know, because of systemic issues, you know, it feels like on a lot of fronts, we're always fighting the system the system yeah. is supposed to do this or that and it's not is there something we we can do in our lives to to right the ship in some way in any small way like just family to family parent to parent friend to friend what what, what can we do
1: the truth is i'm very optimistic i know that that doesn't sound that way from all the things i've been saying but i'm optimistic on many fronts first of all i love this generation the the, the the kids today and everyone's ranking on them and I ranked on them before are saying that they're more spoiled and they're more fragile, but they're also truth seeking, which is very much yeah. the title of, of, of your show. And it is kind of funny because these kids who have it all are looking at it and saying, what are you guys doing? None of this makes sense. And it seems to me that they are more aware more in tune than we were for sure. And I think that they are gonna start looking around and saying, this doesn't make sense. And since they they don't owe anything to anyone, that's what's unique about this younger generation. They think they're great. They don't need it. They, you know, they don't need to work. They don't need to you know, <laughs> even get a degree that's useful. Like, they don't to do anything. So they see, you know, no one's doing them favors. They, they exist because they are great. So fantastic, because they're going to look at this system and say, what are you guys doing? What,
0: yeah. what are you messing around yeah.
1: with us for? Why am I taking seven drugs and I'm 20? Stop it and i think they are going to bring us home that that's my first hope and i also am seeing that uh the truth is the pandemic and and having us all locked in for for a couple of years what state are you in are you i hope you're not i'm involved. in iowa I, I mean, I,
0: I'm semi-coastal, I guess is how I would describe it. I divide time between Iowa and Los Angeles and California. Ah,
1: so California so. was awful. I feel like anyone yeah. who was in California during the pandemic is is probably like post trauma for life. But yeah. uh, it, the I think that with what happened and people looking around and saying, "Did we have good leadership? Did we get good judgment? Were we given good advice?" People are starting to wake up and say I want to do things differently and when you've been locked yeah. in your home you want to get outside and and you want to start exploring again so I think they've gone a step too far and there's a big movement toward I want to get back to natural my kid needs to run around and I saw a lot on social media of people saying my kid's doing so much better now that he or she is home every day Wow, I just thought my kid was miserable all the time, and it was just school that was making her miserable. It wasn't herself. And now Ooh. that she's running around the, the backyard every day, she's just such a happy kid. So a lot has gotten more challenging, but a lot of movements in the right direction is coming our way.
0: Well, I love the idea of this next generation not taking any, you know, any guff basically from from anybody. That is a great. That is going to prove to be the saving grace of our species if if we're to make it to another milestone you know well thank you so much for coming on
1: oh it's my absolute pleasure i really enjoyed the conversation with you
0: thanks so much for tuning into truth tastes funny if you enjoyed the experience please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends